This is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Faith Revisited Podcast. This is Ben, and I am here delighted uh, with a guest today who is uh, both a guest of the podcast and just a wonderful friend, Dr. Brian Russell. Uh, Brian, so great to have you here. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be on here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, so I want you to give everybody kind of a 45-second intro, but just so I can tell you, besides the fact that you're a wonderful seminary professor, published author, you are my spiritual coach and have been for, we're working on two years, I think. Yeah, we actually um, are getting close to two years. Yeah, yeah two years that, that that we've been working together. You've been a vital part of my faith journey and development as a leader um, and as a person. Uh, but then you have also kind of had your own journey, which we'll talk about, um, into the mystical world of centering prayer and how God can work in our lives in just the most amazing way. So if you could start us, just give us a little quick bio on who you are, and then we'll jump right into the centering prayer stuff. Yeah, you sent you gave the uh, the, the highlight reel there. I'm also ordained pastor. I'm a, I'm a deacon in the Methodist Church, uh, United Methodist Church, and I've been uh, that since 1996. So it's been a long a long time. I have served actually a couple of churches, even though I was a deacon. So I've been like a local licensed pastor and such. And I actually even planted a church that was for the Wesleyan Church once upon a time. So I've always had a uh, one foot in the church and also in academics, and then. As you noticed, uh, you know me as a, a coach, and that came out of the not highlight part of my life where I've actually really just had to own my own junk. Uh, that came to a uh, head essentially 12 years ago when uh, my first marriage ended uh, really badly. And uh, I decided at that point, I mean, if, if everything hurts so bad on the inside of me that I was essentially... And I always forget which step it is in the 12 steps, but I just decided I was going to own whatever percentage fault I had. And I treated the divorce like it was 100% my fault, which, of course, it wasn't. But that was my mindset. And I asked God to completely clean me out because I never wanted to go through that kind of pain again. And uh, literally, I felt so awful on the inside. It, a little more pain wasn't going to even hurt at that point. So I just essentially prayed, God, bring out all the darkness inside of my heart into your light so that I can be healed. Part of that journey uh, was even somewhat losing my faith in some level, sort of a deconstruction sort of a thing. Um, and what literally 
saved me, if you want to talk about a practice, was contemplative spirituality. I um, started journaling right away. I'd always been a journaler, but I really just started keeping a deep, 100% honest journal where I was tracking my emotions on the inside, what was bothering me. It was sort of a my short version of the prayer exam, you might say. And then also, I was introduced to centering prayer. Um, and I needed that more than I had any idea because it, uh, it, taught my it showed me how messy my mind was i mean i'm a professor so i've always been basically paid to think and that's a great skill until you're overwhelmed with anxiety and you can't think your way out of a you know a big mess and so the centering prayer literally transformed me by turning the volume down that led me on this journey that you know multiple years down the road i started coaching in 2018 so i healed and basically an eight-year healing journey people started looking to me as more than just the bible guy i'm a professor of biblical studies um and it kind of taken off from there so it's i've um by healing my work substantially working towards healing my own junk opened up unexpected ministry opportunities for me that's great. So you you gave us a little bit of sort of the role that centering prayer has had in your life. I mean, let's let's go there for the the amateur just person who doesn't really know prayer. What is centering prayer and and how is it how is it maybe different than the ways that we tend to think of prayer? Yeah, it it's um centering prayer is wordless silent prayer. Um, another way to describe it would even be silent meditative prayer. And so instead of me focusing on my words and asking God for things or even praising the Lord or even giving thanks, centering prayer is literally saying, I am going to sit in silence and simply listen. Uh, and the goal isn't even necessarily to hear words back, but just to be with God sort of soul to soul. And so you do the centering prayer by actually every time you find yourself distracted by a thought, some sensory thing, a sound, um, a feeling on the inside, you use a prayer word to recenter you. So like I just use Jesus. And so you use you basically surrender whatever comes up so that you just essentially encounter God um, in silent spaciousness, you might uh, say. So that's a little different from regular prayer where you're making petitions or thanksgivings or confessing sins. This is literally just silence before the Lord. Uh, that's so good. Why, why do you think we may or may not have trouble with the differences there? One is a form of prayer, very valid. That's talking, asking, praising, um, lamenting, all of these things. The other is void of those things. Why do you think we might have difficulties um, getting into a life of centering prayer? Yeah, it's um, the easiest way to say it is um, <laughs> silence <clears throat> is never silent. Mm. And, and, and this is where the 
the beauty of these contemplative practices come in uh, because as soon as you say, I'm going to sit in silence, you'll recognize fairly quickly how noisy your inner world is. And centering prayer over time, sitting in silence over time, essentially you'll be confronted with the truth about your inner life. And that can mm. be uh, scary. And in fact, it'll bring up um, the junk in your life. Um, you know, I, I know in your your recovery work, I think centering prayer is like a step 11 practice, actually. It's a way to, uh, I mean, it can be used earlier, but it's it literally is a way to surrender hurt parts of yourself um, as well as actually sometimes um, in the middle of it, you'll actually just feel completely accepted by God in a wordless way. It's really hard to describe. You get into this space sometimes. I mean, and this isn't a quick fix. I don't want anybody to say, I'm going to do this for five minutes and boom, I'm going to run into, you know, God is love or something that could happen. But it's really a slow process that God literally, I would say, is unclogging the pipes in our world to allow our true self to emerge. And as a Methodist pastor, I'd say that sanct it's a sanctifying practice, mm. if you want to use a big word. Uh, and it also, it's what allows the true self both allows us to see ourselves as God sees us. And it also allows us to see the hurt parts of ourselves that we need to open up for more of God's grace so that God can continue to work in our lives and really clean us out. Hmm. That, yeah, and that's hard, isn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. one, why, why do you think it's hard to go that deep within oneself? I, I think it, it's, it's hard to go that deep because – I think most of us in some level struggle with what I'll call sometimes the unholy trinity, which is guilt, shame, and fear. Mm. And when you get that deep inside yourself, you're going to run into some uncomfortable emotions, some uncomfortable memories like um, Thomas Keating, who was the uh, uh, a Catholic um, monk and a priest who was one of the, you know, contemplative prayer goes back millennia, but the centering prayer movement started around 1970. And Keating, when he started teaching centering prayer to lay people, because mostly people in monasteries would have been doing this, um, he noticed immediately when people did it for a long time that he needed to keep therapists around in long retreats because people, again, they were their unconscious essentially um, breaks loose and you see stuff. So trauma kind of comes up and it's just so we we tend to repress things in our lives. And these silent contemplative practices are the ways that God seems to be able to alert us to those things with the invitation. You know, Brian, will you let go of that? Because we tend to want to mm. suppress those hurt parts of ourselves. We're like Adam and Eve. You, oh, wow. I'm ashamed or I feel guilty, so I'm going to hide behind a tree. We usually push the stuff down, but the centering prayer is God's way of bringing it all out. Um, you know, one of the ways you could say um, when you do centering prayer, it's you, ha you have to imagine God saying to you, uh, Ben, or to myself, Brian, um, all of you is welcome here. And then to sit in silence and then whatever comes up, the most beautiful thoughts in your mind or even hurt parts or, um, you know, the seven deadly sin stuff will churn up, but it's all welcome and I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to give it to God. Mm. And slowly 
at least my testimony would be is God has slowly turned me from a, you know, probably a more judgmental person than I'd, I'd care to admit. Um, I definitely a ramped, a more ramped up version than I am a workaholic, all those kind of things. And it's just kind of slowly broken up all that stuff and, and, uh, helped me to be calm, more present. And again, that's how you met me as a coach. I'd been to the point where like, I can actually sit still and give somebody my undivided attention so that I can, you know, try to serve them. Um, so that's like a fruit of centering prayer. Mm. I, I love what you said about the things that it kind of cleans out of you. I, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. Christians often have a stereotype that we are very angry, judgmental people. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes it's not fair, um, but we also know that stereotypes are stereotypes because there's truth and people experience that. Why is it that we Christians seem to be or are are quite often overly judgmental of others or angry or like what is it that that infects us and seems to become even more hurtful when we mix it with just a little bit of head knowledge and maybe heart knowledge of the truth of God? Yeah, I think I'll answer that in two ways. Like, number one, I would say this is fundamentally a human problem in mm-hmm. that judgmentalism is part of our, you know, as, as, as Christian with theology, I would say that's part of our being fallen and, mm-hmm. and we need grace. So I'm going to think the judgmentalism comes from the fact of all of all people um, uh, being somewhat um broken, hurt, sinful, however you want to think about these things theologically. So I'd say that's a root of, um, you know, if you want to talk about original sin, which, you know, whatever you think about it, but I would say the judgmentalism comes from just the human experience. But I think when you add to it, um, sort of sometimes Christianity just becomes about moralism. That's where the extra judgmentalism comes in. So it can actually get slightly worse because, oh my gosh, I found this thing oh, now I can look at how other, I'm actually, there's a, a temptation times to feel superior, like I found the truth. And so now I'm going to show everybody. And so, so so religion can fuel judgmentalism, but I'm going to suggest it's already there. Uh, and part of that sometimes just comes from, it's a lack of self-awareness is ultimately what it is. And that's what these contemplative practices are attacking. They're basically stripping away the illusions that we might have about ourselves apart from the work that God can do in our lives. And so there's no room for judgmentalism where you see the, <laughs> where you, when you actually see what's inside of yourself. I don't know. Does you think that was a fair yeah. answer to you? Yeah, I think so. And I want to dig a little bit deeper even, because I think this really can help listeners who either struggle with their own faith and deconstruction or who really are trying to find their place in, in the, in what I would call the in-between camps. There's an in-between that camp sort of set up and most of us fall in between and, and it's hard because that's shaky ground. Camps are more solid footing. Yes. That's where moralism lies is in camps. What would you say more about describing moralism, especially in the Christian church? I think moralism comes from a sense that we have to perform to get God's grace and, and in general, 
it's it, it's just easy human nature to be against something instead of mm. for something, mm. right? And it's a heck of a lot easier going with moralism where you just judge certain particular sins over against others. Now, what centering prayer does <laughs> is it obliterates any illusion. One of the things it does, um, the contemplative spiritual practice is obliterate any illusion that you actually have about your superiority over anybody else because you get clear messages about the kind of stuff that's in your head um and and god wants to clean that out so that that's i think that's what i would say there is that um um it's it's about it's hard to be to moralize when you actually can ponder and see your own desperate need for god's grace yeah and and you know we're getting into this these deep deeper theological waters but they're so good where would you say the role of christian doctrine sort of plays into this tension yeah i guess um i'm not a hundred percent sure i track in your question you're thinking about a particular doctrine or you just mean just doctrine the emphasis on right doctrine oh yeah 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 well I, well yeah no i think that's a good observation it, you know um i what I would say is, you know, right doctrine apart from right living doesn't make you any better than the demons that show up. And what is it, James, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they believe, you know, and so you have to remember that. So when we want to talk about it's, you know, orthodox theology is the church's reflection on scripture. And it's the consensual position of, you know, that God's a trinity, the different things that show up in the creeds. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Uh, but true Christian faith is about sanctification. It's about the love of God and the love of neighbor. And so you can't divorce doctrine from those things in, right. in my estimation. So, I mean, you can, <clears throat> I mean, you can weaponize doctrine and just become essentially a heresiologist. Mm. Call it that. In other words, somebody that's just an expert on heresy. And all that really does is makes it impossible to talk, have an answer, ask certain questions, or even to speculate because you're worried, oh, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to get called a heretic or I'm going to get called a blank. You, and that's what the church is good at, right? What, you know, you could pick your favorite word. One side calls the other side a yep. fundamentalist or a progressive or a liberal or whatever. It's, right. uh, you know, it, it's, it's playing gotcha games with words. So doctrine is beautiful is, is, is in the terms of setting up conversations about who God is and how to be part of the broader Christian movement. But, but the, the goal of Christianity is love. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, uh, and, you know, and you would argue at it's most beautiful, it's right thinking and right living mixed together. So our head, our heart, and then our hands, right. And our mouths out of that comes love for God. And I love my neighbor as myself. And so, you know, but doctrine itself, you know, saying the right words, again, we're not going to de-emphasize that, but saying the right words, um, only get you so far. It's more important. How do you actually live? Right. I, I think that's an important distinction to make there, that connectivity, the holistic approach that we tend to compartmentalize head, heart, living, you know, it, but but how they all connect. Tell me this one question that came to mind. What's the hardest part of centering prayer? I would say the hardest part is the days when 
you're struggling with an overwhelm of thoughts. So it doesn't necessarily even have to be bad thoughts, but it's when you just have lots of stuff going in your head and it just seems like like one minute seems like it's an hour. Because what I try to do is um, I try to sit at least 20 minutes a day and then I try to come back and do other times. And, you know, and so the hard days are the days where all I'm doing is I'm having to use my prayer word. I'm distracted. I'm playing in old loops. Uh, but I would also suggest those can be the best days because what it teaches you, it just teaches you life is that, you know, there every day isn't going to be a mountaintop experience. Um, Cause that's what, you know, the, the, the danger of centering prayer is chasing it as a mountaintop experience mm. rather than seeing it as a discipline that allows me to surrender my inner world to the God who loves me with the hope and the expectation that God as God, now this is God apart from words, even God apart from doctrine. To do centering prayer, you're actually leaving anything that you think mm -hmm. behind and surrendering that to meet God as God actually is beyond our words. He's that, mm. you know, an Anselm, that, uh, that funny proof that God is greater than anything that I can conceive. <laughs> That's a contemplative kind of idea. You're just, yeah. I'm going to surrender everything I can conceive and just stand here. Um, you know, like Richard Rohr has that book, The Naked Now, I think. It's just, I'm going to stand here open-handed, empty all of me before God, and I'll surrender anything that comes into my perception because I want to just be with God. So that's mm. the hard part is to do that on the days when your brain is really rattling around. Yeah. You know, and 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 I think about I, I learn in recovery, which you and I have talked, you know, in our coaching sessions that it, really the longer I'm in recovery, the more it's really becoming a discipleship journey in a way that I never expected. But one of the things that that, you know, we we remember is that surrender, if nothing else, is just learning how to get out of your own way. Yes. And and part of that is begins with an element of admitting one's powerlessness. So I can get out of my way if I just acknowledge that I don't really have power here, which is another way of saying I surrender the 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 uh the the myth of my powerfulness, right? I'm powerless instead. Um and that those insights, like you said, those mountaintop experiences, sometimes the gift comes when you don't have them because if nothing else, you remind yourself, when I do have them, what a gift they will be. Amen. Huh. That's really good. For someone who's just starting out, who says, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, but I, this sounds like something I might want to get into, how would one start the discipline of centering prayer? Yeah, you start basically with the intention that I'm going to sit before God in silence. And I would just suggest, you know, either grab your phone or like I have a Fitbit. So I just put the put it on vibrate or whatever and just set the time. And I'm not, you know, you can jump off the deep end and try 20 minutes. But I would say, honestly, just try three minutes or five minutes. And again, find a quiet place and you want to have a comfortable chair. You know, sit down, you, know, you do it with your eyes closed, pick a prayer word. If you're, since you're, you know, if, if it's Christians listening, I would just say use Jesus for now, but you can use any, you want a short word that basically is um, your intention. I'm going to 
surrender whatever comes up. So I use Jesus and that just helps me to recenter. Literally just start the clock, sit there. And when you notice, which will be most of the time that you're in a thought loop, you're playing a movie in your head, you're thinking about something, you don't like go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You just gently mm -hmm. say Jesus and you're returning back to your center. And what that will just kind of do, it just kind of punches a little momentary hole in that in the thoughts that flow through your head and that's the practice and you know and when, if the watch goes off and it feels like it's been really fast hey do it for another three to five minutes but just start with it and i would say do it consistently because it's these small things that done that's done consistently over time that's going to change change a person's life it's not this isn't a quick fix this ends up just being a kind of way of life so i would just say pick a time and get after like um, I do my centering prayer. My wife and I do it together. We do it probably within 15 minutes of waking up. We wake up, get a coffee, um, splash a little water on the face. Then we then we do it, and and that's tends to be the mind's a little quieter in the morning. And that's literally like the first thing that we do. And I would recommend that if you can. Again, a lot of people have little kids, and that's that's tricky. I don't have little kids anymore, but when you, it's you just need a few minutes when you can find some time by yourself, and you can just get started. Yeah, I. I, to those who have small kids, I feel you. I've got two of my own. And if morning sounds appealing, this is where you can inch yourself back 15 minutes at a time. I, you know, a year ago, I was waking up 630, um, going to bed at like 11, 1130. And so there's a whole habit thing that's probably a whole nother episode that because you and I geek out on on adjusting habits a lot and how it can yeah. play into your life. But I can tell you that in a year, 15 months, and this for me has to do a lot with sobriety, I've inched that from a 630 wake up time back to now a 415 wake up time. And that sounds crazy and it is a little crazy, but nobody bothers me. At that time of the morning, I have free reign of the house, silence. Um, I exercise. Now, I was going to ask, because you're a big walker, can you do centering prayer during an active, like, on the treadmill, out for, like, where your mind actually, you know, kind of like how in the shower you can sort of do your best thinking. Can you do that while your body is active? Is centering prayer possible? Sort of, because um, okay. what it is, this habit of surrendering and using the prayer word, you can use it anytime. Like if you're sitting in line at a grocery store and instead of looking at your phone, if you're just like, wait a second, uh, mm -hmm. you say the prayer word, I recenter. So yeah, you can walk. I mean, you'll be more distracted, obviously, because you're going to see stuff, but you can practice God's presence. I don't know if you technically call it centering prayer, but it would be a walking contemplative thing. You'd be mindfully walking, continuously returning back to God, and, and then just taking in. Because what you want to do when you're outside is you just want to see how spacious everything is. It's right. like if you can imagine getting that 180-degree <clears throat> view with your mind, that's what you can do when you're outside. So absolutely. And, and I, I like the the question because there's ways to adapt these practices into our life. Cause most, I mean, I don't think we have any monks listening to this podcast. I'd love probably. to know if we did have monks listening yeah, to yeah. this because I want to interview you next, but yeah, uh, the yeah. contemplative life is, and, and, and that goes back to the point about inching your time back, you know, and I, and I get no one, you may not want to get up at four fifteen in the morning, but whatever time you can create space 
in your day just for you and God. I love something you said at the very beginning. I'm going to steal this because in 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 recovery we call it conscious contact with God. And I like that okay, but that's still a little sterile and analytical for me. What you said at the very beginning of the interview I love, which is a desire to meet God soul to soul. Yeah, yeah. To me that is one of the biggest differences for me in a life of recovery versus a life pre-recovery, but for others, it may be a different spiritual walk. But that difference that you you come to terms with between knowing the right answers with your head, saying them, doing the rituals, doing all the stuff which is good, and that life that that longs to be in God's presence. So meeting God soul to soul. I love that so much. Um, what else, final words here, what else would you say just for the, the, the average person wanting wanting to go deeper in their spiritual life? What are some practical ways they could begin to do that? Yeah, I mean, another practical way uh, is to, and this is be true of people that are busy when you have small kids, um, like you, you mentioned trying to adapt to Centering Prayer, but you can also, the journaling practice mm-hmm. is something everybody can do. And I would just suggest if you just did two things every day, you would see real change. This worked for me. It's like, wake up and and you can either do it in your mind or write it down, write down five things that you're legit grateful for every day and make yourself feel it in your heart. And then just ask yourself, is there anything bothering me? Mm -hmm. And be a hundred percent honest and write it out. And you're going to, and that's sort of the same as the centering prayer, releasing things. You just dump your stuff and you'd be stunned. Everybody listen, just that simple journaling practice takes about three to five minutes in the morning, how that'll slowly open you up for more of God. And then if you want to add one thing at night, before you go to sleep, just write down what went really well. Where did you see God working during the day? Maybe take one minute. So that would be something else that's pretty easy to do. And I think that's accessible to everyone, even if, you know, you have a noisy household or whatever. Yeah. And even just five minutes that you can close the door, you know, um, a lot of evenings I will. And because I, those things that you just said in the journal, that is, as you know, part of my journaling routine every day. Um, but a lot of times in the evenings um, when things are busy, I don't write quite as much as I just simply sit and close my eyes and reflect. Um, now, there's a whole thing with recovery. Like I ask myself, am I resentful of anyone right now? Um, have I been honest or dishonest today? You know, where have I been afraid? And once I think about those things, then it's just sitting in silence. So for anyone who has just five five minutes, um, Lord knows we scroll our phones for five minute, you know, increments enough. I mean, we we could just turn it off and try to be in God's presence. Dr. Russell, this is so good. Well, thank you. No, this is great. I love talking about this stuff. We got really deep here really fast. So it's yeah, a, I'm grateful. I like man. it. It's awesome. I like yeah. it. Well, we yeah, we're able to do that because we talk on a monthly basis. Uh, for anyone who is curious, we are going to have um, we're going to have Brian's in- info, um, his website. If you're interested in a coach yourself, I highly, highly recommend as one who uh, not only interviews him but meets with him privately <laughs> once a month, and it is an integral part of my uh, monthly routine. So if you're 
you're looking for a coach to go to that next level in your spiritual life, I highly recommend it. That'll be on his website. We'll have links to his Centering Prayer book. Um, we'll have, of course, if you want to follow on social media, Twitter, all of that fun stuff. Um, I also highly recommend your Instagram account. Um you know, because you, the things that you produce, the content you produce and your quotes, but also the other things that you share, um, I find myself stealing and sharing in my Instagram. So um, it's just, it's just, you know, nice spiritual interruptions that you can come across and say, oh, that's really good. Um, so we'll have all of those links in the show notes um, and, and contact info and all that fun stuff. Dr. Russell, thank you so much for being with us. It's my, it's my it's my privilege, Ben. Thank you, and thanks everybody for listening. Thank you all for uh, listening to another episode of the Faith Revisited podcast. As always, we invite you to subscribe, leave a five star review wherever you listen to podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you next time.